we've been studying the tabernacle for the last seven or eight services. We've been preaching from the furnishings that were in the tabernacle. And one of the things in the tabernacle was the golden altar of incense. And we're instructed as we read the Old Testament regarding the golden altar of incense that the incense that was burned upon the golden altar in the tabernacle was a special blend of spices. And the Lord instructed them that for the worship of God, you should have this special blend of spices and incense that you would burn in honor of the Lord. And you should not use that incense for any other purpose except the praise of God. In other words, what you do there is special for God and you don't do it for anybody else. Now we're used to and we're accustomed to celebrating people and celebrating athletes and celebrating celebrities and celebrating one another. But God says, when you praise me, you got to praise me in a way that you don't praise anybody else. And let it be the high praise that's unto the Lord. Let's give God special praise. Why do you give God special praise? You give God special praise because God has done for you what he has, what he has, what he has done for no one else on the face of the earth. And what God has done in your life is unlike what any other blessing, any other thing you've ever experienced. And since God gave you special blessings, let's give God special praise. Lift up your voice. give it to me. I believe God has a blessing with my name written on it. By faith, I'm going to receive it in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. What a tremendous joy it is to have the people of the Lord gathered in this place, the members and constant friends of West Angeles. We welcome you to the house of the Lord. But we also welcome a host of individuals that have come from across the nation and around the world and across town to visit and worship the Lord with us. Let's give them a rousing applause and welcome them. It's a joy for many of us to return from 
the AIM Convention of the Churches of God in Christ, the Auxiliaries in Ministry Convention in the city of Cincinnati. We're so blessed as the Church of God in Christ to have some very special conventions that take place. This convention was a convention of the auxiliaries and departments of our local churches and of our church internationally, Sunday School, Music, Evangelist Department. Matter of fact, Sister Judy McAllister is the International Minister of Music of the Church of God in Christ worldwide. Let's give her a rousing applause for that. She's working in the sound room today, just waving at us now. And the Church of God in Christ is blessed. There are 10 top conventions that are sponsored by predominantly African-American denominations and individuals and organizations and associations in our nation. And of the 10 top conventions that take place in the United States annually among African-Americans, the Church of God in Christ is the leader of three of those 10 top conventions in the United States. The Women's Convention, the Auxiliaries in Ministry Convention, and our Holy Convocation that takes place in the city of St. Louis. All of those conventions bring together more than 10,000 people to worship the Lord and glorify the Lord. Our convocation brings in from 40 to 50,000 people as we gather together to praise God. So let's clap our hands and praise God for our great church. While we were in the city of Cincinnati last week, we received news of the young men that had been killed by the police and in the exercise of what we feel is unnecessary force, inappropriate force. Then of the terrible tragedy that took place in the city of Dallas, Texas, where policemen were targeted and shot down, killed and wounded in that very tragic situation. We were troubled about it and we gave special time during our special conference in Cincinnati. We held a press conference on this past Thursday. Now I want to read to you the statement that I made the national and international press, the mayor of the city was with us and also the head of the NAACP was with us and other leaders of the city of Cincinnati gathered together. I want to read the statement. The Church of God in Christ denounces in the strongest way possible the murderous sniper attack on police in Dallas. This vicious act perpetuates the cycle of violence and injustice that it ostensibly seeks to address. We absolutely reject this beautiful attack, this brutal attack on the police, and we repudiate the notion that it is in any way excusable, even in the face of the recent homicidal behavior of police officers in Baton Rouge and Falcon Heights. It seems to us impossible to justify the execution-style killing of Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge. And this is true even though that young man was armed and known to the police. But execution by police on the streets does not constitute due process in the United States. So we urge the community, we urge the community to maintain peaceful vigilance 
in the pursuit of justice in this case. We shall not rush to judgment despite how things look. The tragedy of Philandro Castillo's death at the hands of another police officer is deplorable. There must be justice in this case also. We want to commend, we want to commend the Dallas Police Force for their heroism and their professionalism in ending the attack. And we support the prosecution of any co-conspirators to the full extent of the law. And our prayers are with the families of all the victims at this time. I want us just to have a moment of silence in recognition for the crisis and the violence that exists in our nation and a moment of prayer that God will ward off those who are trying to start a race war, trying to put the races at poles and at odds with one another. Let's pray that God will make our nation the nation of peace that he intended it to be. Bow your heads for a moment of silence. And so, dear Lord, we ask your help. We ask your divine intervention. We need you, dear Lord, in a very special way. Some would devise these actions to instigate and precipitate race wars and polarization from the races and between the races. We're still praying, God, bring us together. Bring us together as one. Bring us together in unity. Bring us together in seeking freedom and equality for all who are in our nation. Turn away the tidal wave of violence that seems to be sweeping across the world. Bless our police, dear Lord, as they exercise the lawful and due functions of their office and guide them with wisdom and compassion and love that, dear Lord, they will not use their authority to oppress, suppress, our injure, our wound, our kill, those who should not deserve such treatment. The Lord be with us now as we work for you and serve you. Bless your church. Let your word go forth and let love abide in the hearts of everyone. Make of our nation a nation of peace. Make our nation a leader in pursuing justice, equality, and freedom. Be with us, O oh God, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Thank God. Amen. And all who agree with that prayer, clap your hands and give praise. There are over 300 million people in the United States. And I understand there are more than 300 million weapons in the homes of many who live in the United States. It's time for us to call on God that it would touch our hearts and touch our nation, that our nation will be under a covering of peace and love and togetherness. And we need to ask ourselves individually, what can I do to make our nation a better place in which to live? And then we need to reach out to our young people and make sure that they know they are loved and do everything we can to guide them in the way of the Lord. How many of you are willing to commit yourself to that goal? and to that objective. Clap your hands and praise God for it. 
Lord, help me to be an instrument of your love. Where there's anger and hatred, let me sow some peace. Where there's sorrow, let me bring joy. And let people be influenced by my example to walk together in love and peace and harmony. Is that all right? Put the United States on your prayer list and pray for the peace of our nation every day in the week that is to come. Well, I hope you've enjoyed my series of messages on the tabernacle of Moses. How many of you have been blessed by it? How many of you have the book? How many of you read the book? <laughs> it's one thing to have books. It's another thing to read books. But we've tried to carry you through this series of teachings on the tabernacle of Moses as a type and shadow and picture and image symbolic of how Jesus blesses us in the various phases of salvation and walking with the Lord as we march toward the presence of God, as we march toward communion and fellowship with Almighty God. And today I want to preach on the subject, you can come to the mercy seat. Would you tell your neighbor, you can come to the mercy seat. Tell the neighbor on the other side, you can come to the mercy seat. Would you stand for the reading of the text? Exodus chapter 25 and verse 21. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give to you. And there will I meet with you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony. I will speak to you about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. And let us read also from Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. For the word of the Lord says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. And listen to this. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The Lord preached to us today. Use me as an instrument. But dear Lord, you do the work. You proclaim the truth that you would have us to hear. In Jesus' name, thank God. Amen. Be seated. <clears throat> it's impossible for us, or it is important for us, it is important for us to know the nature and the character of God. I said it's very important that we should know the nature and the character of our God. We need to know that God is holy, that God is just, that God is loving, that God is merciful, that God is forgiving, that God is jealous. Let us visit the holiness of God just for a moment. 
Exodus 15 and 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? <clears throat> then Isaiah 57 and 15 says, God is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Reference materials let us know that the Hebrew word for God's holiness refers to God's absoluteness, his majesty, his awesomeness in comparison to us. God is to be reverenced. God is to be venerated as totally separate from all that is earthly, all that is human. The holiness of God denotes his essential and absolute moral perfection. God is totally, morally, perfect, flawless. God is holy. He can do no evil, and there's no evil in the nature of God. Who a person is and what a person is ought to determine how we deal with that person. If you value your life, you don't just go running up to the President of the United States. That's a no-no. But some people have no respect, no regard for anybody. Always up in somebody's face. Sooner or later, they get in the wrong person's face. And they reap the fruit of their actions, their attitude. Sometimes the nicer you try to be, the more likely it is that people disrespect you and speak to you in a demeaning manner. Your concept of what God is like, your concept of the nature of God ought have a tremendous impact on how you deal with God. And how you deal with God has a tremendous impact on your well-being. You don't just mess with God. If God was to be the God of the Israelites, the Israelites were going to have to recognize and trust his awesome power and his awesome might. We need to respect and honor him as the God that he was. You don't just walk up to God and start a conversation. You don't just walk up to God and establish a relationship. God is a holy God. And he must be approached according to the instructions that he gave us. Nadab and Abihu understood this. They offered strange fire. The Lord set down fire and kindled it upon the altar. And he said, use this fire to light all the rest of the fires in the tabernacle. Use this fire as you worship me, as you praise God for me, as you praise me. And so Nadab and Abihu decided we're not going to use that fire. Let's just bring any old kind of fire. They, they, they kindled the fire from somewhere, came up in the tabernacle and used strange fire. And fire came out from heaven and devoured them. And the Lord said, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. There ought to be a reverence about the house of the Lord. There ought to be a respect that we ought to give to the things of God. And when we worship God, it ought to be praise and thanksgiving like we give to none other than almighty God. 
Moses learned this. He was in the wilderness in Exodus 3 and 5, and he saw a bush burning that was not consumed all day long. And he came to that place and began to walk toward that bush to see what was going on up there. And as he came in, the Lord said, don't draw near to this place. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. I'm the Lord God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look upon God. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 19, Aaron and his sons were called upon to wash their hands and their feet in water every time they went into the tabernacle, every time they went to the altar to minister, every time they offered an offering by fire to the Lord, the Lord said, wash your hands lest you die. It's very obvious that recognition of and respect for God's holiness was an essential ingredient to effective worship. Say that after me, recognition and respect for God's holiness is an essential ingredient for effective worship. Jesus said the day is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father seeketh such to worship him. The Lord said, listen, you watch before you worship lest you die, lest you die. So recognition and respect for God's holiness was an essential ingredient to effectual and effective worship. And not only that, but precise conformity to the standards and procedures that out were outlined by God and the steps that were outlined by God was not only required, but it was enforced under the threat of death. The dispensation of the law required total obedience. I'll say it again. The dispensation of the law required total obedience. You could die worshiping God in the wrong way. Deuteronomy 6.20. And when your son asks you in time to come, say, what is the meaning of these testimonies, the statutes and judgments which the Lord has commanded you? Then you should say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh and his household. When he brought us from there, that he might bring us in to give us the land that he swore to our fathers, the Lord commanded us to observe these statues and to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we're careful to observe all the commandments before the Lord our God as he commanded. This was the righteousness that God required of them. But unfortunately, this righteousness required a level of behavior and excellence and perfection of behavior to which they could not attain. As a matter of fact, the tabernacle itself was an indication on the part of God that there were going to be failures on the part of the Lord's people. The tabernacle assumes a sinful and morally inadequate Israel. Unless, if not, if, if it did not assume it, all the things that they had to do in it would not have been required of them. The bronze altar with its sacrifices 
represented God's selection of the acceptable price to be paid for sin. Every day they had to pay the price for sin over and over again. The bronze altar represented the sacrifice which was made by Jesus. And then the bronze laver or basin at which the priest would wash represented moral and spiritual cleansing. Every day they had to cleanse themselves and make themselves morally acceptable unto God. The table of showbread represented God's people constantly before his presence, offering themselves to God. The showbread was made from wheat. Wheat was possibly the most scarce commodity available to the Israelites at that time. It was so scarce that God had to send manna from heaven because there was not enough wheat for them to eat. And so God said, listen, wheat is more valuable and more perfect than barley. Don't bring me barley. Bring me wheat and make bread from it. And the bread will represent God's people before the Lord. And then the table of incense, or the altar of incense, the golden altar of incense, represented the praise and the worship that God's people lifted up to him. The candlestick represented moral and spiritual light. And then the, 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 the altar, the, the golden altar of incense represented God's people sending their worship and their praise unto the Lord. And finally, when they'd gone by all of these altars and all of these places of sacrifice, we arrive at the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place. We've spoken about the Ark of the Covenant in the past. Upon it was the mercy seat, known in the New Testament as the throne of grace. The Ark represented the culmination and the success of the process of involvement in each of the other furnishings that were in the tabernacle. In other words, if you served God right at the bronze altar of sacrifice, and if you served him at the bronze basin or laver, if you served him at the table of showbread and at the candlestick, then you could serve him at the altar of incense. You could enter into the holy of holies, into the presence of God, and into communication with God. This, this dispensation of the law, this period of the law was inadequate. It was restrictive. It was filled with fear, and it was filled with insecurity and apprehension. It was not God's best. It was just a shadow of what was to come. It symbolically presented to us the pathway unto the Lord. But it was inadequate. It was inadequate because Everything had to be done over and over and over again. It was inadequate because every day and every morning, every evening, sacrifices had to be offered. And then every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest had to go through elaborate rituals and sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people. It was inadequate because they ministered in the tabernacle and the priest had to go to the labor or the basin to wash again and again and again. It was inadequate and restrictive because Gentiles were not able to come into the holy place or into the most holy place. No Gentiles allowed. It was inadequate because they could not come to the place of sacrifice 
out of the place of washing. It was inadequate and restrictive because only one of the 12 tribes of Israel was able to come inside the tabernacle. It was restrictive because not only one tribe, but also it was restrictive because only one family, the sons of Levi and the sons of Aaron, the priest, could enter into the tabernacle. Not all of the Jews could come in. And then not all the priests could go into the most holy place, but only one priest, and that was the high priest. And he could go in only once a year on the day of atonement. It was inadequate. It was inadequate because the worship was filled with fear and insecurity and apprehension because failure to precisely obey the instructions regarding the tabernacle could result in immediate death. And whenever those innocent animals were offered on the altar, the priests were reminded that it was really they who deserved death and execution for their sins. But as they looked upon that innocent animal suffering in their place, they had to admit my sins, my wrong being, my wrongdoing has caused this wonderful blood, this terrible bloodshed to have to take place. Everything in the tabernacle, including the priest, had to have the blood of a sacrifice upon them as an atonement for their inadequacy. And even the high priest, after doing everything he knew to do, would not go into the holy of holies without having bells on his robe and a rope around his waist. He went in, and as long as they heard the bell, they would know that God had not struck him down and destroyed him because of his evil, because of his sin. And if they ceased hearing the bells, they would understand that the wrath of God had fallen upon him and that he had died in the most holy place, but nobody would dare go in to get him out. They would pull him out by the rope that was around his waist because they did not dare come into the presence of a holy God. There was a veil between the holy of holies and the holy place, and no one could come from the holy place into the most holy place without going through the veil. And the veil prevented everybody but the high priest from seeing the other side of the veil and coming before the Ark of the Covenant. And so God was drawn to his people by his love for them. He was drawn by the compassion that he had for them. But God was driven from them because of their sinfulness, because of their inadequacy. And the people were drawn to God by their need for fellowship with God. But they were driven from God by their fear and by their wickedness. The Bible says in Leviticus 17 and 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given the blood to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. And Hebrews 9:22 says that according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So atonement refers to the covering of sin, the canceling of sin. And atonement has the effect of bringing God and man together. If you spell atonement at one minute, A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T, 
Atonement is man and God coming together as one. And this day of atonement was not just for the atonement of the high priest and the people to God, but for the atonement of the tabernacle itself. Because the tabernacle was associated with men and therefore imperfect and inadequate. So God had to cleanse the tabernacle itself once a year on the day of atonement. Let's look at this day of atonement. On the day of atonement, the high priest, number one, had to wash himself, put on the plain linen clothing appointed for that day, had to slay a bullock as a sin offering for himself and for his family, carry the incense into the Holy of Holies and allow it to burn until smoke filled the room, return with the blood from his sin offering and sprinkle the blood to the east of the altar and seven times before the altar. A goat was sacrificed as a sin offering to the Lord and the same was done with the blood of this offering. Afterwards, the remaining blood would be placed on the handles of the altar of burnt offering and sprinkled seven times before it. And thus the tabernacle was made acceptable for another year as a meeting place for God and his people. It's difficult to conceive the depth of emotion which filled this day year after year. The people sorrowful and repentant, the high priest full of fear for his life, all of them having the knowledge that iniquity is going to rush in on us again. And we're going to have to do this next year and next year and over and over again as long as we're on the face of the earth. The blood of animals could not relieve the conscience of men from the guilt that he felt in his heart. No matter how many times he sacrificed to God, he still felt dirty. He still felt inadequate. He still felt that he was sinful and wicked before God. The blood of animals could not change his heart. They could not change his nature. It could not remove him from the power of sin that had a monopoly on his life. The blood of animals could not bring about that sense of the presence and the power of God. So there was a sincere desire on the part of God and a sincere desire on the part of man for something that was better. They did what God commanded. They did what they were able to do. They used innocent animals as substitutes for themselves and presented the blood of those animals unto the Lord. But they knew it was not an animal that had sinned. We sinned. Not an animal that deserves to die. We deserve to die. But we're presenting this animal as a substitute, praying that God will accept this substitute for us. But God could not and God would not. All of this was just a shadow of what was to come. All of it was just a symbol. You know, there are so many who want to take the blood out of the gospel. But without the shedding of blood, you will die in your sins. All of the law was merely a testimony that will be saved only through the blood of Jesus. Isaiah 53 and 5 said, He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We needed somebody related to us. I said we needed somebody related to us. 
bulls and goats and heifers could not really die for us because bulls and goats and heifers had not sinned. Human beings, men and women, had sinned. And if men and women sinned, we needed a man to die for our sins. It's just that could not be any man. He had to be a worthy man because this was not the death of one man for another man. This was the death of one man for all men and all women who would ever live, who lived at that time, and who would live in the future. It had to be somebody who was worthy. And the Bible says, worthy is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was worthy because he was the son of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and full of truth. Look at your name and say, Jesus was worthy. He was fully God. He was fully man. But he also had to be innocent. He had to be clean and innocent of any sins himself. Else he would have to go to the labor for himself rather than going for us. But Jesus did no sin, and neither was any guile found in his mouth. Praise God for Jesus. Jesus was related. Jesus was innocent. Jesus was worthy. He was the one who could die for us, who could suffer for us. You took an inventory of the angels and of all the great men and women of God who had ever lived. Nobody was worthy but Jesus Christ. Come on, praise him. Praise him. Praise him. And so we walk beside him. We walk beside him from judgment hall to judgment hall. We were on trial for every sin of our lives. We had to nod our heads in agreement when the verdict was guilty and the sentence was death. Yes, we're guilty. Yes, we deserve to die. The soul that sinned shall die. We walked beside him to a hill called Calvary. Our sins hung Jesus on the cross. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, our sins hung Jesus on the cross. It was our sin that caused him to cry out in agony. Our sins drove the nail into his hands. Our sins drove the nail into his feet. Our sins crushed the thorn into his skull. Our sins caused his blood to flow down from the cross. Our sins caused blood to come down on his brow and in his face. Jesus died for our sins. Come on, tell your neighbor, Jesus died. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for saving our soul. Thank you, Lord, for making us whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me your great salvation, so full and so free. I don't know why he loved me. I don't know why he cared. I don't know why he sacrificed his life, but I'm glad he did. Come on, tell your neighbor, I'm glad he did. He did what blood bulls and heifers and goats and sheep and lambs were unable to do. Bulls and heifers and goats and sheep and lambs had not sinned against God. We had sinned, and thank God, Jesus, the man, the worthy one, the Son of God, came all the way from heaven down just to save a wretch like me. Come on, praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Hallelujah. While he hung on the cross, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, 
the veil in the temple that separated the most holy place from the holy place. The veil in the temple that isolated the Ark of the Covenant. The veil in the temple that kept men from just walking up to God at any old time and any old way. The veil was rent from the top to the bottom. It wasn't rent from the bottom to the top because if it had been rent from the bottom upwards, then man could have done it. If it had been rent from one side to the other, then it would be only half removed because the upper half would still be in place and man could have done that. But it was rent from the, bottom, from the top to the bottom. God reached down when he looked on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and he said, I'm going to open up a way. Whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life. You can come to the mercy seat. Come on, tell your neighbor, the veil is rent. The veil is torn from the top to the bottom and you can come. Oh, come on, tell three or four people, you can come. You can come. You can come. You can come. No matter how you live. No matter how you behave, no matter how low you've sunk, no matter who you've hurt, no matter what people think about you, no matter how many times you've done wrong, you can come. The blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from your sin. Come on, tell somebody, you can come. You can come. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me your great salvation. So rich and so free. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, I've got to praise him for saving my soul. Come on, clap your hands. Clap your hands. Clap your hands. Oh, bless the name of God. Jesus, I said Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our mediator. He stands between heaven and earth, between God and us, making intercession and pleading for us because of his blood. We can't just walk up to God, but when we come in the name of Jesus Christ, God hears us and God brings miracles and power into our lives. I've got to stop, but hallelujah, I'm so glad that he not only died, but early on the third day morning, he got up again. Tell your neighbor, he got up again. And if Jesus could conquer death, then Jesus can conquer anything. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, oh neighbor, if he could conquer death, there's nothing that he cannot do. Do you have any rivers that you think are uncrossable? Do you have any mountains that you can't tunnel through? God specializes in what we think is impossible, and he's able, able, able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we may ask or think. God is able. I said the same God that raised up Jesus will wrap his arms around you. And we have not a high priest 
who cannot be touched. Tell two people he can be touched. He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was tempted at all points like as we are. Whatever you're going through, Jesus has been through it. But without sin, without doing wrong, he came in on one side, he came out on the other side, holy and righteous. Hallelujah. He knows what you're going through. Come on, tell two people. He knows what you're going through. He knows the burden you bear. He knows the pain you feel. He knows how sin has captured and overwhelmed your life. But he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And if Jesus could break the chains of death, walk out a living man forever and forever, he can break the chain that's holding you back and holding you down. You can come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace. Boldly, boldly to the mercy seat. You can come and find mercy and grace to help. Does anybody know the Lord will help you? Tell your neighbor Jesus is able to help you. Oh, yes, he will. Yes, 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 yes. He's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence with unsucceeding joy. He's able, I said he's able, so you not only come to the outer court, hallelujah, for the wash, altar of washing and for the altar of burnt offering, you can not only come to the outer court, you not only come into the holy place where the altar of incense and the candlestick and where the altar of bread, the altar of showbread is, but you can come to the veil and you can come through the veil. You can come through the veil. Take one step, take one step, take one step. Lift up your hand and say, Lord, I thank you that I'm able to stand before you and find mercy and grace to help. Lord, I praise you that you've opened up a way. I praise you. I might have failed. I may be weak. I may be ignorant. But Lord, thank you that you love me, that I'm able to come and bow before you. I'm able to come and get mercy. I'm able to come and get help. Just like you rose from the dead, I'm going to rise out of my sin, out of my failure. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel stuff, I feel stuff dropping off of me. I feel burdens being laid aside. I feel the whole of devil being broken loose. I hear chains falling. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, I hear the chain falling. Give God praise. Oh, praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Praise Him. Clap your hands and praise Him. Lift up your voice and praise Him. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. 
healing somebody right here, right now. The presence of the Lord, the healing power of God is here right now. Lift up your hand and say, Lord, by faith, I receive my healing. Lord, by faith, my healing is now. It's here right now. Come on, praise God for healing. Praise God for deliverance. The devil has set up strongholds in the lives of some people. He's built a barrier around you, hindering the blessings of God and the power of God. Hallelujah. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, but the Bible says the violent take it by force. Reach up, get your blessing, pull it down into your life, and begin to praise God. Strongholds are coming down. In the name of Jesus, yes, yes. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, the stronghold of the enemy is coming down. I am delivered in the name of Jesus. is your guarantee that there's nothing that your God is not able to do. Some of you, the illnesses and the sicknesses that have plagued your body will trouble you no longer. I just see them dropping off of your shoulders, dropping off your back. I see you healed in Jesus' name. And when you come back again next Sunday, you're still going to be healed and praising God for your deliverance power and the presence of God is in the room right now. I want to pray for somebody who does not know the Lord. I want to pray for somebody who's not saved. Jesus is here and you can come. Others might have told you that you're going to hell. Your life is wicked and evil. Some might have criticized you and rejected you. But this altar is for folk who need mercy and for folk who need help. Listen, I don't blame you for what you have been. I'm just encouraging you that Jesus can cause you to become something that you've never been before. He can transform your life. Every wrong thing you've ever done can be forgiven today in the name of Jesus. I don't care how wicked, how evil you may think it was. The blood of Jesus is more than enough to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all wickedness and evil. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. I want to pray for somebody who wants to be saved. I want to pray for somebody who wants to come to the mercy seat. You might have felt that you did not deserve it. Others might have told you that you didn't. And you don't. But Jesus deserves it in your place. And you get to go along with him. He will carry you to the throne of grace. You'll find mercy and grace to help. 
in the time of need. Jesus can save you and forgive you and transform you right where you stand. Right where you are, every sin you've ever committed can be forgiven. Right where you are, Jesus can come into your life. I want to pray with you right where you are. But I need to know that you desire that I should pray with you and for you regarding your salvation. If you would pray, Lord, I want to be saved. I want my sins forgiven. While every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I'll pray for you right where you are right now, but I need you to lift your hand. As you way of saying, preacher, pray for me. I want to make it to the mercy seat. I want to make it to the throne of grace. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. If that's you, lift your hand, hold it high. In the name of the Lord, in the balcony, I'm praying for you. Lift up that hand, hold it high, so that I can see it on the lower floor. Lift up your hand. There are 10 more of you that need to Lift your hands quickly. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. You have the privilege of coming before the Savior who died for you and rose again, transforming your life. Lift those hands. Dear Lord, you see the hands. Even those who should have lifted their hands, dear Lord, deal with them as if they had lifted their hands and impact their lives in a special way today. Thank you, dear Lord. We don't deserve your grace. Don't deserve your mercy, but you give it just the same. You died for us. You rose again. And dear Lord, we believe you're the son of God. And we accept you, receive you into our lives. Dear Lord, come into our hearts. Work the work of salvation. Fill us with the Holy Ghost. Bless us, dear Lord, to come into your presence and occupy our sacrifice of praise in Jesus' name. Say this prayer after me, please, dear Lord. I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me for the wrong I've done and the wrong I have been. I want to be saved. I want to be saved. I want to be saved. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for me. I believe he arose from the dead. I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And I thank you, Lord. I'm saved. I thank you. I'm forgiven. I thank you. I have new life. Give God praise. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, give him praise. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven. You're washed in the blood. Thank you.